JB Knowledge Podcast Network. On episode 72 of the Insure Tech Geek Podcast, talking about data-driven decision-making with Marav Oren from Versatile. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. Mm-mm-mm. Friday. As we record this, it's Friday. December the uh, 3rd now, it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. My, I'm on a street, and I talked about this in my Contact Crew podcast, I'm on that street, Rob, that everybody has to have lights on or you feel like a real big outsider. And uh, it's like a, it's a six house cul-de-sac and they all go bonkers for lights. But like in particular, I have the neighbor, I have the... Cr- Clark Griswold of the neighborhood across the street from me. And he's like the nicest guy on the planet, but uh, he does do a heavy light show. And so it puts a lot of pressure. And so my daughters who are 11 and 14 were all over my butt last year. They were like, what the heck, dad, we need more lights. (laughs) So I did more lights this year. And I'm like, is it enough? They're like, it's really great. I mean, it's not, it doesn't match his, you know? Uh, So I think I'm going to have to go full on animated light show, Rob. (laughs) Do people on your street do lights for the holidays? You're going to do like the whole Trans-Siberia Orchestra playlist with all the flashing animated lights. Why not? Oh, it, it, it'd actually be the Aggie band, Aggie Warham, okay. which would be more appropriate in, in College Station, Texas. But do, pe- do people on your street go bonkers for uh, Christmas lights? You know, nothing like that. So I would say we're a little bit the opposite on our cul-de-sac. We do have that guy. Actually, he's a, a good guy. He's my next door neighbor. But I would say that he has a moderate amount of lights, which compared to everyone else that barely puts up any, just makes him look like stand out. But um, I think he he's raised the bar <laughs> enough that nobody wants to kind of challenge him. But around the other end of the street, basically, like there's kind of a right turn in the, the cul-de-sac on the other end. That's where all the heavy hitters are. So that would be the equivalent. In that so we're kind of nice to be on the more reserved. <laughs> it's always a yeah, street, the man. Reserved cul-de-sac. No, man, I'm on the street. I'm on the street. I mean, like, it's so bright that when I turn the lights off at night to go to bed, it's I can still see inside the house everywhere. <laughs> like, that's how bright it is. We're bonkers. We're, we're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs around here for, for holiday lights, Marav. Clearly. Do people, uh, where, where are you joining us from today? The lovely Northern California yeah. Bay Area. So in the Bay Area, do they allow themselves to enjoy the uh, the holiday lights? Is that is that a thing where you live? Yeah, so I'm, I'm downtown Los Altos right now where our office is. And the street is actually very well lit uh, nice. since about two weeks ago. Yeah. And, and the shops are like really nicely decorated. It really does feel like Christmas. Yeah. And, yeah. It's yeah. like time. It's time. It's time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, my kids, my kids love the lights anyway. So I think we decorated like two weeks ago, and they're like, yeah, just super happy about it. Make sure that it's yeah. Um, what kids don't love lights, man? Seriously, seriously. <laughs> it's like super addictive. Lots of fun. So 
big week wrapping the year up. It's always, you know, it's always exciting and scary at the end of the year for a tech company. At least it has been for me for the last 20 years. You know, we're always doing a lot of hiring at the end of the year. We're always setting budgets and, uh, mm. you know, you're, you're looking at your sales goals and comparing to what you actually got. And then you're saying, I got to reset next month. And it goes back to zero for net new business for the year. And you're like, ah, but, uh, so there's always, always that part of the end of the year. But of course, for me, uh, I, I get really excited about the lights and everything else. And of course, College football playoff time this week in the big game. Uh, Texas A&M is not in it like they should have been. It's Alabama, Georgia uh, for the conference that matters. And uh, and then, of course, in, uh, in the great state of Michigan, Rob, you had a rough weekend last weekend. Now it looks like it's uh, – I think, I think Michigan's going to go all the way. I don't think they're going to win, but I think they'll go all the way to the playoffs. I think it's happening. It is a little bit tough. I'm, I'm trying to figure out. I, I think I'm in that terrible position where you have to cheer for your enemy so that we can get that New Year's Six bowl game at Michigan State. And all that. Yeah, so it's a little awkward. Yes. It's a little awkward this weekend. You got to do it. Go Big Blue. Just say it in your head. Go Big Blue. Uh, before we get started with our interview, don't forget, you can subscribe to the InsureTech Geek Podcast by texting geek out to 66866. Make sure you never miss an episode. I also want to say a big special thanks to our uh, sponsor of the show, Smart Compliance. That's at smartcompliance.co. It's Certificate of Insurance Tracking and Collection, next generation product for certificate tracking. So go check that out at smartcompliance.co. Now for our interview, our special guest, Marav Oren from Versatile. I've, I've had her on uh, my podcast. Uh, before and uh, since then she's raised a uh, hundred mil in U.S. dollars, by the way. Uh, so she's been busy on the fundraising front and certainly on the growth and customer acquisition front. She is co-founder and CEO at Versatile and also co-founder and CEO of her homeschool, <laughs> where she has been <laughs> raising a lot of money, running a company, and also homeschooling her kiddos. So she's been a busy bee. Marav, thank you for joining us again today. Thanks for having me, James. This is uh, a pleasure. Yeah. And, and of course, yeah. today is all about insurance and insurance tech and risk management. We're going to geek out on this. And let's just briefly talk about you. And then let's talk about the implications of technology uh, in construction on risk management. Uh, you got a bachelor's in econ and management uh, at uh, Ben Gurion University. You got a master of laws at uh, Barlon University, both uh, and then an MBA at Tel Aviv. So all in Israel. Yeah. It's been an interesting time. One of my best friends is Israeli and uh, he lives here in Texas, but he goes back to Israel whenever he can. And he, he just got back from Israel and it doesn't look like he's going to be able to go back <laughs> over there. It looks like Israel just got locked down again. Uh, is that correct? I haven't been back for a while myself, so I'm trying ah. to I'm trying to keep track. No, I don't think they're locked down. I think they did kind of like close borders again, though. So. Yeah, they closed the borders. Yeah, and it's been, it's it's interesting. He he was allowed to leave, <laughs> but uh, he's not going <laughs> to. Thanks. He, he was allowed to leave and come back to Texas, but uh, he wanted to come. He wanted to go back a month from now, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Yeah. So you did a whole lot of uh, work and education over in uh, in Israel, and then you were a business analyst. You did uh, IT flex services. You wireless. You were at a mobile wireless group. You were a financial specialist and consolidator. You were. I mean, you, 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 you had some really interesting jobs of your career, but you, uh, you really became an entrepreneur about a decade ago now. Um, just walk us through your entrepreneurial journey and what it's been like and what made you want to start starting companies and, and uh, getting involved in tech. So I think I've always been an entrepreneur and at some level. Uh, Intel confused me just a little bit. Uh, there's something to be said about uh, being promoted uh, 
too often and, and your ego kind of like liking it, right? So I don't think I ever thought I'll stay at Intel that long. Amazing business school. I've learned so much. I've gained incredible friends and relationships and, and most of my business knowledge, right? But probably wouldn't have thought I'll be there for that long. But in a way, been good to be out, right? Because uh, anyone that ever knows me knows that I'm kind of like uh, a classic nonconformist that would look for different ways to do things and hardly ever takes no for an answer. So it was probably in the stars. <laughs> and different ways and creativity in business is not exactly a forte of a multi-billion dollar global conglomerate uh, chip maker. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I remember when I spent my brief two internships before I started JB Knowledge, uh, I interned with PricewaterhouseCoopers, employee number 158,253. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> you know, a huge organization, massive, massive global organization, hundreds of thousands of employees. And I, I they, they did not appreciate the go get them entrepreneurial spirit <laughs> that I that I took to everything. So I, I it was amazing. I I must have set a record in my my two my my six months total there for the most number of official reprimands. <laughs> I mean I got in trouble on a regular basis. And not for doing like not for doing like inappropriate things, but for just stepping out of the box, right? Like I, I was like, but what about that over there? I would I, I, I remember I was they, they assigned me to an airlines company. This is right before 9-11. So they assigned me to an airlines company. I was at their headquarters and I wouldn't eat lunch with any of my coworkers. I, I, I went down to the, the company lunchroom and ate with the client. And so I just networked at lunch with a customer. And then I, you know, I was a 21-year-old intern and I sold I sold work to a new division of the company that, that they had never worked for. And, and they were like, what did you do? I went, I went and sold work for you. <laughs> like, there's a problem over there and it's more interesting than this problem we're working on that I don't need to be on. So can I go work on it? They're like, and they got really mad. I mean, it was, it was, it was really interesting to, to see. It's just, you know, you, you need to, you got to play in the lines in big companies and the lines exist for safety, you know, big companies risk managed. So you, you did a decade at Intel <laughs> and, and then you've been, you've really been a, a public entrepreneur since then. Pretty much. What led you to this point? Because you, you got really involved in, in, uh, for the last 10 years in, in entrepreneurship. Um, what was, what was the, the first steps and what led you to, to uh, co-founding Versatile? Oh, so yeah. And I went, again, like entrepreneur at heart is always one. Unlike, I, I guess, similar and then not similar to you, James, I, I kind of like found my way at Intel to actually innovate and, and break some boundaries and create departments that never existed and whatever. And they gave me quite a lot of freedom, which is probably why I stayed for that long. But it's, you know, things that I did later on. I, I started a school. I, I did a couple of things. I consulted on, on quite a few kind of like business uh, ventures, including some in construction. But it was really an accident. So so I think I said this before, but uh, serial parent disappointer here. It's either my dad that always wanted me to be a, a superintendent because I'm a control freak and I really does fit well or my mom that couldn't get over you know me living intel i just can't get this right the bootstrapping company whoever thought that was a good idea <laughs> 18 months of bootstrap will get your mom worried that your kids will end up in a cardboard box and she'll constantly mention that by the way but kidding aside my 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 father is or was a general contractor and my brother who doesn't disappoint parents as well as i do is a project manager and a couple of years ago he lost a worker on, on his job site um, that's really the the beginning of versatile because that was a very different construction debate that night and 
I've had my share of construction debate Friday night family dinners. And the realization that we're looking at a fragmented and non-structured manufacturing process, non-linear, if you like, and also knowing and hard like wholeheartedly believing that the process can be controlled and the people that are building incredible, amazing human beings can actually be empowered to control their processes. If you could just give them data, by the way, do that without interfering with their workflow. So naturally fit the workflow or be non-intrusive and just add value, right? So that's kind of why our first product is, is CraneView because it fit that narrative that say, Stay out of the way as you collect the data. By the way, make that data consistent and reliable and, and repeatable. And stay out of the way and the ability to add a ton of value just because of that position, the multi-sensor approach that I could, I could speak of. I think I heard you mention cameras before then. Yes, a camera is a sensor. You better have more than one. One of many. Of, one of many. One of many yes. sensors. Yes. But fast forward, you know, just a couple of years, like, it was probably three years ago when investors told me that construction is not an investable industry, right? Like they weren't just saying my business wasn't investable. They said the industry is, is laggard and antiquated and it's just not going to adapt fast enough. And I remember just standing there saying like, you're so wrong. <laughs> you're missing the point. Given the right technology and that non-intrusiveness at heart really, it's our DNA. I think it's the first thing I said that night and it, it's in our nature and just providing value in that non-intrusive way will catch fire. Like this is easy. And our industry is just as fast to adopt as any other industry. It's the tech providers that have it wrong half the time or, or more than half the time by providing tech that is, is hard to adopt, that is intrusive, that takes so much work to get something out of it. That is not the way. Uh, Versatile comes up with a different way. Uh, it seems to be working pretty well, considering the fact we have seen investments pour in both the Versatile and the industry as a whole that far exceeds what anyone ever said uh, three years ago when we were non-investable, right? So. Now, how's adoption actually been though? Fast and impressive. And it's not just adoption, it's the way our users are actually using the data. So that empowerment, that ability to drive your own decisions based on data that you can rely on has been amazing to watch. It's what they do with it and how efficient processes become, how, how much time you can actually save, right? Like I actually measure it by, can I save the superintendent some time, right? Like I think there's perception about technology, especially in construction, that it's going to be a time suck. How about twisting this around and actually saving them time? So I measure it by that. And as you save them time, they become, you know, in a way your best salespeople and boy, they, they do adopt. Yeah, let's dive a, a little deeper. This is a sure. so you, you say and you and you even introduce it. Crane View as your first product, implying yes. there will be more products afterwards. Yes, and uh, you know your own website describes Crane View, and 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 I thought I thought it was and this is why I thought it was relevant for for the Insure Tech Geek podcast because mm -hmm. you know it started with a fatality, which is a major loss event at a construction yes. job site. The mm -hmm. single fatality we had at Texas A and M's uh, football stadium construction cost fifty three million dollars once the once the lawsuit was settled. So that the, these yeah. are these are major events financially. They're major events morally as well. Yes, your own self described literature describes Crane View as uh, helping measure. Crane utilization, load details, locations, real-time alerts, project progress, updating the model. There's a lot that it can it can sense, and the nice thing is it doesn't reduce the load utilization of the crane, right? So sure. it's a it's a certified product. It's actual piece of hardware combined with a mess load of software that does this. What sensors other than cameras does this uh, attachment have on it? 
so starting with the load cell that actually runs through the device and a, a quick shout out to to the Crosby group if you want to talk safety then that is uh, for load bearing elements we couldn't have asked for you know a better partner and everything about Craneview is is the Crosby group from the uh, masterling to you know to the shackles to the to the actual hook and the load cell in between but other than the load cell that would be unique it's like just think of a smartphone right like it would have probably all the same sensors yep. but they're centered in the same location right it's all under the hook by the way literally blue chip rigging um, certified under the hook device right so it doesn't change anything about your operations including not your uh, crane kind of like capacity or, or uh, weight capabilities but it provides data sets and you know at pretty much every second right that allows you to not only understand what the crane is doing but put this in context to your process and to understanding what else is going on because well it, it kind of goes back to how we onboard projects right and speaking of non-intrusive we do that just as non-intrusively just send us your data we need to know what it is that you're building or manufacturing if you'd like your schedule obviously your bill of materials a couple of data points that we ask for and then when the devices are actually getting on the hooks by the way four seconds installation i don't know if you've seen that video but it is four seconds we already know where we are right and we immediately start collecting that data the magic and we'll, we'll touch on what it does to to risk as well right is the next morning when that data gets actionable Kind of like digestible view on our daily digest. So if you're a superintendent and it's 5 a.m. and you could go through pretty much everything that happened yesterday, and, and crane view is a bit through like a, a, a keyhole, if you'd like. It does look at it from the crane's perspective, but the crane pretty much touches 80% of what you would want to know in terms of progress as well. Then you walk into your morning huddle, plan of day, you already know there are quite reduced number of questions like what happened? Did you do this? How long did it actually take us? which is a question that I don't think was ever been asked before, right? So those, A, the ability to just know what happened and B, put unbelievably accurate measurements on it. And we're talking seconds, right? So we know how long it really takes you to set up that column. We know how long it takes you to, you know, set that steel beam in, in place. We know whether, you know, truly know how you do your form work. Uh, we could have discussions about jumping, right? And whether that's good or bad. We know if it's installing or stripping. We absolutely know anything that the crane is either directly involved in in terms of installation or has assisted in delivering any of the materials for. So it's quite a lot of data that's structured in ways that you can actually use it. Awesome. Rob? Yeah, Marav, it's uh, fascinating to to hear your story and your background and how you've kind of arrived at this uh, value proposition of Versatile. So I'm I'm curious, maybe you can expand. I'm, I'm thinking back, uh, James, we had an episode now, it was a while ago, uh, but it was with Tom West of Make You Safe, uh, which is a wearables company that um, started actually with the exact same thing and unfortunate fatality. And the founder, Gabe Glenn, said, you know, that scenario of somebody going to work uh, and then not coming home, right? It's just like really painful and really powerful to to say, we don't want this to happen again. We don't want this to happen to their partner, their their children, their loved ones, yes. right? Um, whenever you go off for your day of work, wherever that may be, right? You should have the assurances that you're able to, to come home safely from that. And so I know that powered uh, their vision kind of for their startup and in, in, in using wearables in the workplace and construction sites and elsewhere. So Love the, the the vision at Versatile, love what you've come up with, but can you maybe walk us through 
every time I talk to a founder, whatever your original vision is for your product or service, it, it always changes, right? Mm-hmm. Based on your interactions with the customer, based on development. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your evolution and what lessons you've learned along the way. Sure. So funnily enough, I, I don't think much has changed because the, the foundations were keep it non-intrusive and just add value, right? And that drove the decision to go for the crane first. It drove the decision to offer those services to GCs and to superintendents in, in specifically. And the way we went about it is, is listen, right? Like we didn't assume we know everything to begin with. So I don't think we had too many things that we had to change because we were like wide open to understanding how what we already knew will be valuable data serves the people that we aim to serve. So in 2019, when we launched, this was a lighthouse program. It was similar to what uh, we're doing for insurers now, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But that lighthouse was meant to say, we don't know anything, but you guys do. Let's put this in your hands. Tell us how you're using this. Tell us what's not useful. Like we were trying to minimize the, the number of data points that we're you know, putting in front of people. Data fatigue is, is not a good result, right? Like what is it? What's the one thing that actually makes a difference to your day? Let us put that in front of you and get rid of everything else. By the way, it's, it's in the background. So the, the promise of, of those data sets remains the same whether we put this in front of you at 5 a.m. or not, right? It's still there and we're using it in different ways. And the ways we'll use it in a year that will probably surprise me. But through that experience, we mainly learned how not to data dump and how to be very precise about what we show our users. I think that learning still proceeds today. We're we're definitely out of lighthouse, but uh, the learning never stops. Our our customer success managers are there to listen more than anything else and constantly trim what we're showing and only add if we have to, right? So I think we got a lot of validation. And if anything, proven right, including on the assumption that the industry can and will adopt good technologies, the ones that actually add value and emphasis on the ones that can stay out of your way while they're doing it. So it's just, honestly, the biggest learning is how our users are are using it and, and watching teams come back from shelter in place last year and gaining that time back. And trust me, I don't build, my company doesn't build. All we do is shed light on events and empower the people that do build. But we do that pretty well. And just watching them go was probably one of uh, the, the best experiences. And, and by the way, tying this to risk, it's, it's, risk is not just safety, though I agree safety is a huge concern. It's actually being on time, right? It's, it's keeping to budget. It's being able to do more with what is less resources if it's due to the pandemic and, and fewer people on, on the like actually in the field or simply because our industry is actually losing more manpower than it's gaining right now. Yeah, three three people retiring for every one new trade worker coming in. It's it's pretty tough. Pretty much. And, and I, I think there's a, a good deal of uh, a good deal of evidence that a more productive, more efficient and effective job site is also generally correlated uh, to a safer job site. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, if you reduce the number of steps workers are walking, let's just take that yeah. for example, because there's an incredible amount of waste in construction with walking time. I mean, like yeah. millions of dollars. And you know, one of my uh, construction technologists that came on that worked for a major multi-billion-dollar player here in Texas was able to drive over a million bucks of job by shortening worker walking time. And uh, if workers walk half the number of miles they normally walk, then you generally 
would get a lower incident rate on work comp injuries because you have, you know, fewer miles walked. Just like if you drive fewer miles, you're generally less likely to get in as many accidents because, you know, those, those type of incident rates generally occur, uh, you know, per mile walked or per mile travel. And so I always bristle it uh, when, when people make an assumption that you can have a separate discussion about risk management than productivity. And, and they're one and the same, you know, because if, you, if you're focusing on improvement, then you're naturally, well, not maybe not naturally, maybe not everybody naturally does it, but you're, you're going to have to focus on safety uh, through that improvement process because you, you don't want a faster job. I mean, the Empire State Building, let's just use an example. This is a 100-year-old yeah. example. Empire State Building hmm. was built in under a year. Uh, six people died building it. Six, which if you put that in modern terms, would be an absolute worst project of the century award. The Hoover Dam, over a hundred people died building the Hoover Dam. And, you know, and so if you if you look at just worker fatalities, and by the way, that's excluding the injuries and the number of workers that got maimed. So you you can have an you can have a fast project, you can have a really efficient project that really sucks. I mean, I I, I say this a lot from the from the uh, from the stage. You you can efficiently suck, but I I do like the your your focus is certainly on effectiveness and on uh, efficiency and on and on safety. You're you're hitting you're trying to hit all three at once, correct? Yes. If you go back to my own kind of like uh, where we started and my brother's accident, Craneview cannot save that worker. He fell off the scaffolding. Um, He did have a harness and there was an anchor there. It's about changing sequences of events. It's about asserting control. I literally say that I wake up every morning to change sequences of events. Uh, And I wholeheartedly believe that he wouldn't have been there or he would have had that extra second or my brother had would have had better control, right? Of over everything. The entire event wouldn't have happened. To to your point, there is no, you know, productivity and efficiency without safety. Because one incident will set you back morally as well as, you know, from every other um, indicator, if you'd like. But if you cultivate a culture of safety, if you use data to actually drive better decision making in real time or in the next morning or even informing your next project. This is a game changer. It, it literally changes the way events unfold. And, and yes, there's, there's a huge interest in safety there that doesn't go through direct safety features that will harness anyone. That's not what I would want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Rob? So, Rob, it, it makes sense from the construction industry standpoint, right? Yes. But I'm, I'm interested in this insurance angle. I could see where it would definitely benefit insurers, but I also know that clients may be reticent to share some of this information with their insurance company, with their broker, with their carrier, et cetera. So can you talk a little bit about the value uh, that the insurance industry has found? And have you sensed that tension or is there a willingness uh, from your clients to share this or insurance companies or, or brokers like even offering Craneview as a you know, an added product or service to, to set them apart from the competition to their clients? So, yes, I, I won't get into specifics or where it comes to names. And I, I kind of uh, more than hinted at, at a Lighthouse program. So what we're going to do with insurance, acknowledging once again that there's more than we don't know than what we do about how to benefit. First and foremost, by the way, the, the GC. So you're talking about data sharing. I want this to be collaborative, right? I want the data to benefit everyone. And it starts with the people that we already serve. 
with that in with that in mind, uh, partnering with um, some of the top insurers, and I'm sure we'll set out uh, some announcements uh, soon enough, allows us to just observe exactly that. Like, what is shareable? What makes sense? How do we actually create uh, a collaborative um, working stream around this? And I really like the benefits are the same. The the insurers as well as the owners are are just as blind sometimes as the GC to how long things really take and how do you actually get accurate measurements out of out of a job site, right? What is it about our process that is best practice and what is it about our process? By the way, mind me talking process, not people or equipment, like double handling of equipment is part of a process. James, speaking of, of safety, it's not just how many steps. By the way, I have an analysis on that. So, so the crane actually gives you some perspective about that too. But if you stop double or triple handling the same equipment, what does that do to your you know, ability to keep a, a safer job site? And how do you price that? How do you put an ROI on that? I, I love ROI discussions, by the way. I think they're, especially in our industry, they're so non-tangible and then real at the same time. But uh, where it comes to the, to the insurers, we start with our, our kind of like listening cap on, if you'd like, and understand what it does. But it's the measurements that enable everything. Once you know how long things really take, you could start improving. Well, generally, I haven't seen any industry that improves without measuring, right? So that first basic step that says, I actually know more about my process than I ever knew before is a starting point that I don't, I don't see how you get past that in automation and creating better safety in creating better risk management profiles, right? So at the end of the day, it's the same data and it benefits you know, the field and the superintendent, as well as the risk managers, the executives. My goal, by the way, is for everyone to be the smartest person in the room and for everyone to shine in that ability to make decisions. So take Craneview as a great example, and, and that is the product out there. That hardware-enabled software creates multi-layer of softwares that serves different people in different ways. But it's the same data set that you start from. And I think even on this show, you, you've heard people say before, it's like AI is almost a commodity now, but having consistent, reliable data sets is still very hard to come by in our industry. We happen to have that, right? So build on top of that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. This is a, uh, it's a, it's a big, it's a big, uh, it's a big topic. So let's talk about the, let's talk about the future. Yes. You've made it clear. This is uh, step one. Yes. Uh, you've raised a uh, hundred million dollars to go and execute this uh, this stage, and I imagine there'll be additional rounds later. Your ultimate goal is really a is is not to sell out to another large company and then be Borg assimilated, but mm-hmm. to, to IPO in this case. Yes. Uh, your your goal all along from the inception has been to IPO. What why why do you want to IPO? What's the what's the desire there rather than just uh, do the arguably much easier path of you know raise money, uh, you know grow revenue, sell to somebody else, and let them assimilate you and become a member of the Borg Collective. Ah, it's it's about your vision, right? And I've always said our vision is control over this fragmented, non-structured manufacturing process. And uh, we're we're probably two percent done right now, James. So I don't really see any other way to get to a hundred percent than to be a, a very big, publicly traded company that can execute on its vision and mission uh, with no interruptions if you'd like. Um, and that's the way I've always seen it. And there was a, a smart uh, CEO on, on, on really early on in, in my journey that said, 
someone congratulated him on a on a very successful IPO and said something like congratulations on on the exit and I said what exit uh, I view IPO as high school graduation and man do you really want to pick at high school graduation so I kind of <laughs> took that took that to, to to heart and I use it I, I stole with pride we cannot pick at, at high school graduation so everything we do up until now is just you know getting ready for high school graduation life really begins after that there's so much more that Verso wants to do there's so much more impact that it can have and just the way we started and that DNA of non-intrusive and follow the value just do what adds value and drop everything else I would refuse to do anything if I don't see the value it actually adds to the people that we serve right the, there's so much more it starts with data right but so, so you're saying that Tui Kordamash and Procore are just going to college well yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I do. I th- I, by the way, I think Tui will agree. Uh, I'll have to check that with him, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yes. you have to you have to you have to ask him. But I mean, yes. it's but that's the way I view it, right? You're viewing it as an evolution of the company, and so yes. what's the what's the long play? Is it a suite of productivity, safety, and measurement tooling? Is it uh, ultimately to become an ERP? Because ERP that definition has gotten super fudgy lately, right? Um, yes. It so has. what what's the big goal? So this is at the end of the day, it's a platform, right? It it adheres to the same rules of of that non-intrusiveness and, and add value, but there's so many other ways. Craneview is a good baseline and again a first product. But there's uh, uh, speaking of the insurance, speaking of you know the the same blind spots that we're seeing for um, developers as well as you know some of the subs. There's many many layers of information that allows this to be a true operating system rather than an ERP. Once you truly understand the process, there's more than you can do and more than you can unlock. Uh, not even mentioning the fact that even CraneView as a first product is uh, still um, US uh, only. Well, I'll say North America, we definitely serve Canada too. There's more to be done for this specific product uh, globally, and there's more to be done in terms of the platform. By the way, no one has ever asked, but uh, we will go beyond the crane, right? So that platform that I speak of and the ability to do an operating system requires additional data sources. The one kind of like caveat, if you like, or the one condition is we seem to know how to do this non-intrusively. Um, it will stay that way. Anything Verso will ever do will have the same DNA. That I can promise you. And it will all fit into an array of, of services that belong into a bigger platform. And we'll keep to our core into the things that we do best, which is understanding those processes and shedding light on events, but not just necessarily through the crane. I also believe we partner well. It's not just the Crosby Group that we prove to be great partners with. But speaking you know, of TUI, for example, there are more partnerships to be done in construction, and it's easier to do that when you're actually big, when you actually had made an impact and made an, a difference. So for Versable, by the way, it's scale before anything else. And truly, and I think I said this before, be on every crane in America as, as a first step. And we're not there yet. We're getting closer, but we're not there yet. Understanding what additional value this data that we have and that we're collecting more and more of every day kind of like creates and where is the most value creation and grow from there. So it's, okay. it's almost a simple plan. And I will constantly tell you, Follow the value. Follow the value. Yeah, we'll keep on doing that. Rob, uh, bring us home. What's uh, what's uh, your last question? Yeah, Rob. So we've got obviously a, a lot of folks in the insurance industry that listen to the podcast. Yes. 
what would your message be for those people and who are you looking to partner with? And, and uh, if somebody is interested in reaching out, how would they do that? Perfect. So first of all, let's talk at versatile.ai would be the absolute best way to, to get to us, uh, as well as our website, versatile.ai. And my message is pretty much to everyone that is um, either underwriting or kind of like deals with risk in construction right now. Uh, I wouldn't, speaking of the fact that I want to listen, I wouldn't limit it to what I think is best. We are speaking to large carriers, again, believing that's where the value is. Uh, and we're looking to enable the same measurements and reducing blind spots, uh, as we're all slightly blind where it comes to risk and construction. I would love to have a conversation with pretty much anyone that thinks that they could utilize accurate measurements and understanding of processes in ways that were never possible before to unlock, again, risk management and better safety. But again, like to us and, and where we started off is actually creating almost a predictable and definitely a controllable process on what seemed to have been a non-controllable process before. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for the discussion. And uh, as always, I really That's appreciate right. your time. Um, we've got just two brief news stories uh, in InsureTech News this week. Uh, this is this is uh, relating to, to home property insurance. And this is pretty interesting because uh, we've seen paper use uh, be, be done in auto insurance where you can get auto insurance by the mile. It's a little harder to envision it for home insurance, but someone's given it a shot. NLX, E-N-E-L-X, launched the Homex Smart uh, Smart Protection in collaboration with Neosurance and NetInsurance. It's the first, they claim, the first on-demand and pay-per-use insurance plan to protect your home against theft. And so, again, we're seeing more and more of this parametric insurance instead of just paying for a general risk, paying for specific uh, risk for utilization, which is... Um, uh, pretty interesting. Uh, the, the report says that the uh, smart home market is already worth 500 million euro in Italy alone, just in Italy, with, of course, security as a, as a, as a high reason uh, for insurance. So it's, it's interesting to me, Rob, seeing a smart home system comboing with an insurance company to offer parametric insurance on home insurance, which is a pretty, pretty big model change, don't you think, Rob? Yeah, 100%. That is pretty fascinating. I'm, I'm curious to know. Uh... If it be, proves to be successful or not, and you'd think that you'd want to at least cap right your max premium somehow or whatnot as a, as a homeowner, so it's like, hey, if you're going to save me some money somehow, but maybe you you, you could see this for like you know, water detection or water leak devices or things like that. Water leaks tend to be upwards of forty percent of of losses for homeowner insurance policies. So um, I can see some scenarios where it it does make sense for sure. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. It, this particular solution is only available for those with the smart home system and uh, they get five free days of theft insurance on their home. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a, they're, they're, they're crafting the insurance policy in a, in a very interesting way, of course, tying it to smart homes, uh, which is, uh, which is a, a, an interesting, we might have to get them on the show uh, to my show producer. We'll have to, to look at, uh, at this uh, provider and see if we can get them on the, uh, get them on the show so we can break down how they're going to put parametric insurance on home insurance. That was my news story. Rob, what do you have? Yeah, a couple of quick items. So uh, an article came out in Insurance Thought Leadership this week on five trends in uh, commercial auto insurance and uh, honored to be quoted as one of the voices in that article. So uh, if you're interested in the commercial auto space, uh, definitely encourage you, uh, folks to, to check out that article. A lot of great insights from some, some experts in the field. And then 
Um, other news story is uh, from Coverager, and uh, this is uh, Chime, which is kind of the digital banking startup. I know them as the people that advertise in the Dallas Mavericks jerseys, <laughs> um, but I'm sure uh, many of our listeners uh, may have heard of Chime or even use them. They have over 100 million users. They're recently valued at over $25 billion. So they partner today with companies like Haven Life, Lemonade, and others to offer insurance products, I guess, as kind of a, a platform. But um, they basically came out with an announcement saying that they want to create their own insurance offerings, uh, quote unquote, from the ground up with the goal of helping their users increase coverage and save money. So they're hiring a product manager who's going to kind of lead this effort to launch, quote, highly differentiated products and features in the insurance space. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to do it alone. They may have some partners in this space, but I just kind of found it fascinating that they didn't want to just you know, take kind of existing partners and offer the, the off-the-shelf products, right? Now you see this platform that's really looking to kind of break into the space. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if they find a partner or if they end up being uh, an insurance company. So something to watch. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the likely route, uh, they'll find a partner, then they'll become an MGA, and then they'll go get raise money and, and become and get their carrier license it's like it's like the formula it is and, and then uh Marav, maybe that's the side note for you to remember is you can you could actually bundle in your your mga uh be, become an mga and it, of course safe sites doing that right now mm-hmm. it was a safety mobile app and then they created an actual mga managing general agent so they 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 you know, went to an MGA and then they, uh, I imagine have on their roadmap to become a carrier one day. Cause why, why not? Right. And they, you, you have to buy, use their app to stay on their work comp insurance nice. on construction job sites. And it's a, it's a totally different way of selling the software because you're not selling the software. You're giving the software away if they, if they write comp with the, uh, with the, with the uh, provider. So I think we might see more of those creative type solutions, uh, Robin. Uh, it could be an, inter- an, an interesting year ahead of us in, in reporting on these. Yeah, fully agree. Yeah. I, I will say, James, I'm not I'm not ruling it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't rule it out. You you can't you can't rule out because that's where you know so many contractors make a lot of their money is in their insurance programs. So it's it's impossible to rule out. Rob, yeah. thank you so much for uh, for uh, to the the news as always and for joining today. Of course, I have a pleasure to be with James Moroff. Great to connect. Love what you guys are doing at Versatile. Keep it up. Thank you. And Marav Oren, uh, always good to see you. Uh, you know, maybe uh, it was a hundred million dollars ago last time I spoke to you. Maybe it'll be uh, two hundred million before the next one. But uh, be be a good steward of all that investor capital and uh, go go okay. build great things for the uh, construction business that also helps uh, reduce risk. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks, guys. This was a pleasure. This has been the InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, JBKnowledge.com. It's all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's JamesBenham.com with co-host Rob Galbraith, endofinsurance.com. Big thanks to Jim Greenlee, our podcast producer, and Kara Daltonaro, our creative producer. Thank you for joining us. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time.